My job was to create the things that build fans and friends for life. Meaning that it doesn't matter what's going to pop up in your paid Instagram feed of products or 30 second commercials or what's on TV. We're telling these stories that if you watch, you will be, like you said, have that emotion connected to this thing. Greetings and welcome to Content That Moves, the podcast from brand storytelling and credo nonfiction, where it's my distinct pleasure to interview the brightest minds in branded content creation who are out there telling the stories that make you actually feel something on behalf of brands. I'm your host, Jesse Raisler, the founder of Credo Nonfiction, where we partner with brands to find and tell stories that reveal brand purpose and deepen brand meaning in a way that traditional advertising just doesn't. This podcast is co-produced by Brand Storytelling, bringing you the latest news, trends, and insights in branded content with top of industry events and in-depth industry coverage online. Brand Storytelling encourages a higher level of collaboration amongst advertisers, agencies, media partners, and creators in pursuit of a richer media environment. For more of the latest in the world of branded content or to explore event offerings, visit brandstorytelling.tv today. In this episode, We ask, and hopefully answer the question, can brands have souls? And if so, how are they created? I talk with Yeti Cooler's head of content, Scott Ballou, on how it feels like they've done just that after more than six years of creating story-driven films that anchor some impressive brand-owned content channels. If you've seen the films, you know they're considered a leader in this space. If you haven't, go watch a couple right away and then come back and give this episode a listen. Without further ado, Scott Ballou. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You know, I've I've been as personally excited about this conversation as I am professionally excited because as someone who spends as much time as, as humanly possible outdoors, I've been a Yeti fan for a long time. And there's a there's a Tundra 65 that basically just lives on our back deck as our second refrigerator. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love the product. Um, but what I've realized, you know, is that as great as the products are, you know, I love the brand itself, I think, even more <laughs> than the products, which I th- I think is kind of a rare thing and to have that strong and emotional connection to the brand itself. And this was happening before I, I knew who you were, but was when I first started seeing the the Yeti films. And I think, you know, it's because through the films, you've done something very intangible, or at least very hard to measure by traditional metrics. And to put it as simply as possible, and I think you've said this before, I feel like the brand has a soul, right? Yeah. And, you know, not to start with the big questions first, but wow, like, a, is, is that a conscious goal for you to give the brand a soul? And, and if so, like, where did you start in order to do that when you joined six years ago? <laughs> Man, yeah, start with some... Big guns first. Right? Yeah. I think the goal where I, where I was at at the beginning, and, and largely due to from our, the, the Roy Cedars, uh, the founder and the CEO when I started, and... Uh, Corey Maynard, who is the head of marketing, the idea was to uh, do a lot of films um, and use the the dichotomy of the, of the different worlds and the different characters and the different stories to um, to loosely re- reflect kind of the fabric of what the brands stood for. Um, 
in a way without us having to define it. I think it was more like, let's establish the world that, that we do or could live in and the people that um, are doing exceptional things in that world. And, and so that was the ask on me. And then the ask I kind of made to the filmmakers and, you know, my goal being a part of all of them doing, I think the first two years we did 60 films. Wow. And it was just me and, and eventually me and my partner, uh, Taylor Johns, and then a bunch of film makers and directors and companies kind of shooting and editing and prepping and doing all like 10 things at once. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the idea the, I think the, to make them as, as, uh, good as possible you know i think uh we didn't we weren't looking at them it was like what are they saying about the brand how is this brand reflected i think we we were trying to separate that and like what is it saying about the person and breaking down their story and mm -hmm. sort of conflicts or troubles and thinking of it you know as best as we could in like a traditional three act sort of thing in seven to ten minutes which is tough to do so I think coming from a a non-brand, like I'd never worked for a brand or an ad agency, and I very mm -hmm. much, I don't know if I saw myself as this as much as the company saw me, but I was kind of the the outsider that they didn't quite understand what I did or where I came from or how the films were made. So I think they kind of uh, gave me that 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 freedom to do things that were a little more pure than traditional advertising and we would leave the experts to be more focused on some of the product driven stuff. Right. And that's, you know, that's really interesting that it wasn't like a clear mandate or to say like, here's what we stand for, but tell real stories. And I think that's kind of, you know, one of the golden rules of storytelling, right, is show don't tell and you let your audience determine what it means for them. And then they can sort of put their own meaning onto what they're seeing and who's showing it to them. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of, well, yeah, I think that, and the way I look at it is like, you're, you're, you're providing a, a reflection or, or, or a story that someone can reexamine or find their own soul. You yeah. Know, not the soul of the company. We're not telling you what the soul of Yeti is. It's like, what's go find your own soul. And then ha whatever you interpret that as like, you're, that will determine how you interact with, and it wasn't even necessarily interact with the product, but interact with nature, like go and, and push yourself, go and, you know, do something you'd always been afraid to do, go and, um, you know, spend more time with your fam, whatever, whatever these little subtle messages or, or uh, stories that were happening in the films, or I think it was more of a reflection of the people watching it than it was of the brand. And I think, I trusted that the people making the products and on the the important business side of things were were making good stuff and that that I would have no problem uh marketing. So I feel like we weren't hawking some product that didn't didn't work, therefore it allowed us right. to be I think a little more free with the, the storytelling and yeah. let people come to their own conclusion. Cause I think like you said, your tundra on your back porch, the 
if you have a product that works or, or something that um, has gotten you through an experience that was surprising. For instance, I had a lot of calls when the, the big freeze happened this year in Austin or in Texas. Oh, yeah. And everyone's free, you know, power went out and they had to scramble and get their fridge. You know, people lived right. out of a Yeti for a week. Um, yeah. Or all, all kinds of stories. So I, I think that is more powerful testimonials than any sort of film. It's just these experiences. And once you've had one of those personally, um, you tell your friends about it or you're kind of a fan for life. Yeah. Well, and it's the difference between like there are products that I purchase or own and, and love. And when I look at it, I'm like, that thing is great. It works every time and it works like I want it to. But then when I see, you know, the Yeti mark somewhere, I have a feeling attached to it too. Mm. And it goes beyond, you know, just like, hey, that thing does what it's supposed to, that works. And so I think, you know, through this body of work of dozens or even hundreds of, of films, a, a soul of sorts starts to emerge and maybe it means a little bit different, something a little bit different to everybody, which makes it even more powerful because you know when a, you know a fly fisherman is wearing a yeti hat it it means something more than just like hey this is a product i own there's like a a culture or you know some something more there so i mean i think you don't see that as much and maybe it is because you've been so free to allow people to attribute their own meaning to these sorts of content but i know you know that there's something that you're you're looking for right in in these not even necessarily the stories but that they're you know they're all very character driven which i just think makes them feel so authentic you know it doesn't seem like there's any agenda other than like let's do the best job we can telling this true real authentic story of this person that for some reason you know you and your team are like yeah this would make a great yeti story and i'm curious you know, I know a lot of it can be really intuitive, but are there traits you're looking for in in the stories, in the people that you're featuring in these stories? Is there anything that you could point to and say, like, you know, we love looking for this? You know, are there things that, that you go out and consciously say, like, okay, this would be great? You know, uh, honestly, not really. Um, I think you kind of nailed it. It's it's a a bit of a mysterious, intuitive process. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are a few broader things that I like to factor in. Um, I mean, one thing that was important at the beginning, just because no one knew what Yeti was, is um, establishing credibility in the outdoors. So as an example, if we weren't telling only stories about ambassadors, but whatever this person was doing, whether it was fly fishing or photography or mountain climbing or surfing, they had to do it at a level um, or a commitment or um, as a life choice where they they would be respected by that community, if that makes mm. sense. Yep, definitely. Um, so they didn't have to be at the, the top of that pyramid, but whatever they are doing, um, it, 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 they had to be respected by people that were at the top of the pyramid. Like a funny, like one of my favorite films, maybe because it's close to me, is there, we did a film that probably a lot of brands would not do um, mm. about Sandlot baseball. But there's a, a an architect and artist in Austin 
named Jack Sanders, who essentially had an incredible experience in graduate school in rural Alabama and came across this all African-American Sandlot baseball team that had this secret little league that played on Sundays <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, barbecues, music, it was a whole community event. And over the course of two years, he slowly earned their trust and became the only, um, white person on the team and, hmm. you know, remained friends for life with a lot of these folks. He moves to Austin, wanted to recreate that, that community and that culture and the, the excitement of, you know, older on athletic people playing <laughs> fast pitch baseball. So he built yeah. field, like field of dream style oh. out of, out of bales of hay and chicken coops and, you know, old oil pipes in, in his office outside of Austin and oh. creates a little scene and a funny little kind of misfit Sandlot baseball league. Wow. Um, and I mean, I guess the, the connecting that to your question is no one on that team is really that good at baseball, but I think if, you know, Madison Bumgarner or, or whoever sees this story, they would be inspired and respect the, the dedication to the sport or the creativity and the, the spirit of why it started. So those were kind of the things I was like, all right, it doesn't have to be the best, but are they, is this story or, or these actions, would they be respected by the best? Um, yeah. Or is there a lot of passion there? Because clearly someone who's doing something like that really cares about it, about what they're totally. doing. And there's some other things I think, I, you know, one, I've always seen Yeti as kind of like an understated and humble brand. Um, mm -hmm. Less is more. Um, we don't necessarily beat our chests um, a lot about um, the product, the quality of it. Um, so I think, I, I don't know, and this might've been a personal thing. I don't know. I don't remember it being a part of any sort of deck, but I was always drawn to people that were humble in whatever they are pursuing or have achieved. And I kind of gravitated to people who weren't actively, you know, I get emails all the time saying like, Hey, do a story about me, do a story about me. I'm doing awesome hmm. stuff. I think I kind of, like the people that were maybe a little resistant to doing a film. Right. They didn't have to say anything. They're kind of just doing it. That sounds like the antidote to influencer culture, actually. Really so is. refreshing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one of the things I also wanted to, to ask about, you know, especially, I think finally now we're getting to a point where people and brands are, are getting brave enough to go like, okay, we can do things with a longer runtime because we know it's going to be more meaningful. And if the content's great, like people are going to watch, but you know, I feel like, especially when you started doing these, you know, longer, well, in context of, you know, web films and, and marketing in context, longer than a lot of what was out there, you know, the, the decision to, to make, you know, five minute and longer films, you know, in the early 2010s when, you know, a lot of people, we're saying keep your videos under three minutes online or you're going to lose your audience. Like what made you decide like we can do this, you know, when you're building the platform out and what do you think is that power of, of longer runtime? And what would you tell other brands who are just considering, you know, doing more long form storytelling about it? Um, I would tell them that 
there is no answer. <laughs> I mean, we're in the same boat as anyone else. Um, my job was to create the things that build fans and friends for life. Mm. Meaning that it doesn't matter what's going to pop up in your paid Instagram feed of products or 30 second commercials or what's on TV. We're telling these stories that if you watch, you will be, like you said, have that emotion connected to this thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a hard ask to, you know, the, the attention span, the amount of stuff that's out there. Um, and it's an intent, like you said, this, this whole thing is a little bit of a fairy dust situation where it's, <laughs> it's intangible with, with no real metrics. I think once you're in it, you can feel it, you know, every airport yeah. I've ever been in, and if I'm holding a Yeti or, um, you know, wearing a Yeti hat or whatever, the strangers will pull me aside and be like, oh my gosh, did you, you know, I saw that film on the dog or I saw this April Fool's film or I saw that film about JT Van Zandt and his dad. Mm. Pretty much 100% of the people that are inspired enough to pull you aside when they find out for Yeti, it's, the, it's these things that they're talking about. It's not, oh my gosh, I saw that animated uh, video of a new cup being broken <laughs> out of a rock um, right um what is that made out of so it's you there's no numbers behind that you know it's like the um it's just a thing that happens and you yeah. can't it's like proving if god exists it's you just yeah. have to believe that it is based on um you know just based on your interactions with people in the real world. Cause I don't think it's a, it's a slow play. It's a, mm. you're, you're, you're investing for the next 20 years when you're telling these stories, you're not in it for the short term. So, um, Yeti, when I started Yeti had somehow already been established as kind of like a cult brand without really any external efforts in making that happen. I think it happened by word of mouth by mm. having, you know, do, being the first in a category um, of making an exceptional product. So when you had something that cost what it did and worked the way it did, people were telling their friends about it and they were being forced to justify why they, you know, paid two or $400 for a cooler and were proud about it once it worked. So I felt like my job was, uh, the only thing I could do was damage what was naturally happening with the brand. <laughs> and I felt like in your face, uh, finger pointing flashy, short form commercials and advertising would have would have damaged something that organically had had grown just from mm. the brothers and the products working. So I mean, I, I would say to a brand that's uh, debating on whether or not to tell these stories is um, you have to have faith that if you tell the right stories and you tell them good, it will resonate with people and will be a good long-term investment. Um, but you're not going to see an overnight return of those or have any sort of analytics to provide to a board or to uh, the public or to CEO. Um, and I think it's necessary to counter that with some vegetables um, that is doing a, a more pointed job of at least explaining what your products are 
Um, but I think that's kind of where we're at today is trying to find that balance of storytelling. Um, but also, you know, we have so many different products and SKUs and all that is we have to inform people what is out there some way. Cause if you watch a film, you'll notice it's pretty much no products are in there. Right. That's, and that's, I think an important point too. It's like, oftentimes there are separate entities within a company doing those different things. And it sounds like that's what you've got going on there too. So is there someone like you have colleagues that are working on content that is more about product awareness and that sits separately. And then you're just trying to balance the two of them. Is that kind of how it it functions? Exactly. Okay, cool. And, and that's, I think when you run into content that doesn't land, like people were hoping is when they try to combine those two things, right. And put so much of the product in what was supposed to be a pure story. Yeah, it's a really tricky thing. I mean, even we're currently, we, we, you know, in the last year and a half or two, um, we've made an effort to grow our internal um, advertising department. So we have more control over the quality and the volume of these more, you know, specific product short form mm-hmm. campaigns and yeah, the separation of church and state is tricky because you want everything to be run through the lens of uh, the films, which we know people like and feel connected to and are pure. But there's also a certain quality of commercials that work and reasons why they work and how long you have on the screen before you lose someone's attention and tell someone. So I think it's I, I, I don't think we're unique in trying to find that, that, that right balance of, of, you know, meat and potatoes and dessert. <laughs> right. And you mentioned, you know, just that idea of the separation of church and state. I'm curious how that um, plays out in the distribution um, of your different types of content. And, it, you know, once you have, you know, I know you've got Yeti stories on the site and I think I've seen your films, Another, a number of locations, you know, including Vimeo and, and among other places. But once you do have, you know, a new class, you know, as we're talking about Yeti story, where are you, what are the different places you're releasing it? And I know over this many years, you know, you've got a channel where people know they can come and see these, but what's sort of your distribution approach once you have a new showcase film? Um, you know, that's been a work in progress this whole time. And some of them, you know, take on a life of their own. Some, some of them just like, uh, you feel like they, you know, a tree falling in the woods. Uh, sometimes we've had some luck partnering with other publications, vice or rolling stone to help Mm -hmm. get the word out. The, The one thing that's been happening the last year or two is taking into our own hands and doing a film tour, um, Mm. you know, in the spirit of traveling mountain film or, fly fishing film tour where we'll we rather than release a film a month we've been releasing all of our new films once live in theaters this this year it'll be a you know international tour where we have thousand person theaters where you watch two hours of these short films that have never been seen before um wow in the theater and and then we'll release them on you know, YouTube, our website, some other partners. But I think the the frustrating part for us and probably for a lot of people is uh, finding that premium viewing 
and distribution uh, option. You know, these, the, the way these, these stories and, uh, uh, and the characters and the way they're shot and the cinematography and all that, they're just, it doesn't do it justice watching it on your phone. And, <laughs> right. And, and there's just so much noise out there with films and commercials and Instagram and influencers and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just really tough to, to break through all that. So my, I mean, on one hand, my hope and my naive belief is like, we just have to make them better and better. And like the good stories, that's the only chance you have of breaking through without paying millions of dollars for some, you know, Times Square billboard. Um, it's just to make them good. But I don't know. I think we're, I'm excited about the film tour. There's some other things that we're working with on more premium distribution options. But, you know, we're in this time, the last few years has been this transition of people looking differently at short form films, people looking mm -hmm. differently at branded films. Can brands mm -hmm. tell real films and real stories? Is that advertising? Do you have to pay for people to see that? Mm -hmm. Do people just want to see it and forget that a brand's making it? Do they care if a brand's making it? There's, I think more questions have arisen um, than answers in doing all this. Oh, absolutely. And you're seeing that a lot, especially, and it seems like a lot of the leadership is in the outdoor category. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, beautiful cinematic stories to be told in that space but you know rei co-op just announcing the launch of co-op studios and you know other brands you know that have been doing this beautifully for a while too i think it is a time where you're seeing more of that and especially in longer form and even feature length films so it'll be really interesting to see where things head i think in the, in the new few years and we finally do start getting answers to those questions about do people care if this is funded in that way i mean what's the difference right it's at some point between as long as the the messaging isn't skewed or you don't have to see 20 product placements i mean what is the difference if it's a studio or a brand studio funding, right right totally yeah. well um i one thing I, I i wanted to touch on too is um you know i well first of all i'm curious what where are you at in terms of your content goals in terms you know i've, I've read that at some years you were doing, you know, up, up to even 50 films a year. And, and lately you've pared that down and, and gone deep on, on quality. What, what are you looking at now and sort of what's the, what's informing your, your strategy there in terms of the, the scope and scale um, of, of film content that you're doing? I, I feel like we're in a bit of a reset mode, not necessarily reset, but just kind of reevaluating what, what is that threshold? How, what kind of investment can we make is a question. What, how much appetite do people have? Like, is it more impactful to watch five really good films a year or, you know, one mediocre film a week? I don't mm. know if you have the answers to that. I feel like currently with the kind of creation and success of these film tours, we've started thinking about them as like, all right, let's just do, enough films a year to fill out two hours of the film tour. Mm. And if something exceptional comes in beyond that, we'll figure it out. I feel like a lot of my time has shifted over the last year to two years is kind of like what we were talking about earlier is um, how do we apply this, um, 
the soul of the storytelling and quality and kind of intangible and arbitrary magic that those possess and how it relates to brand to some more of the nitty gritty, less glamorous aspects of marketing. And I feel like it's been a little bit of my responsibility to help, to help, I mean, uh, at least oversee helping them understand what is Yeti and what's not Yeti, you know, Mm. Does this, you know, with the purpose of what this piece of content serves, does it, is it, is it that removed and disconnected from what the films stand for? Does it matter? Like, I think there's a lot of things that we're figuring out um, of how to, to do various versions of the, the films, knowing that not everyone has time to watch a 10 to 20 minute film, mm. um, but a, a two minute film that's a little more lighthearted or funny um that still has the the components of a yeti presents but maybe has a little more marketing uh oomph behind it like is that a good compromise some of the time so Mm. we're figuring it out like everyone else i think it's the, the films and the storytelling and just creating your own voice and soul is the best chance to make a dent because it's such a fickle uh rotating cast of what works yeah well that certainly keeps it interesting right (laughs) that there's such a a constant evolution um in the way we're consuming content and 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 just like how certain things make you feel or, or don't make you feel um and and all we can really do is that's you know what this podcast is about is like point to like wow we can all feel that this they're doing something right here and i think you know a lot of other brands and marketers are at, at least aware of your film program and and have probably been trying to to you know do some storytelling that again is not product driven content purely story and i know a lot of time it's a it can be a game of um convincing the right the right people with maybe more of a traditional mindset to do something like this. And I'm wondering if you have any just parting advice here as we, as we wrap up of like, are there a couple tangible things that someone who's very early on in the stages of this journey, or either building something from scratch or just trying to transition from more product driven to say, Hey, yes. And let's also do some story driven. Anything else that, that you might say that maybe helped you out? Um, I would say throw anything tangible out the window. I mean, I think what I see, I have all kinds of filmmakers or people that work at other brands or, you know, a lot of directors I've worked with and people will call them like, we're looking for a Yeti style film or we want a, our version of a Yeti film and our version of a Yeti film. Um, and, and let me say, first off, we were not the first to do branded films at all. <laughs> And not saying we do them the best or the most. Um, I think there's a lot of great brands before us that were doing them. They're still doing them. I think what I'm seeing now is that a lot more are doing them. There's there's a lot a lot of you know kids or younger folks that have access to cameras and equipment and and are kind of one stop shops that made things possible that weren't possible when I started in the film business. Mm-hmm. And what happens? when I feel like you try to to 
replicate a certain style of another brand's film and it just becomes very generic and watered down and you see a bunch of drone shots and mm-hmm. you know slick camera moves and i think i think um if i had anything going for me going into it was being naive about uh about marketing and just trying to tell a story about people with visuals and music that made me feel something. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think that's probably the most important advice that I could give someone, whether it's making films or marketing or doing music is finding, like you have to be your own audience and you have to create your own intangible sort of goosebump checks in order for something to um, stand out or be unique or to represent something that's outside of all the other noise. Cause if you start chasing things or chasing shots or, you know, um, all, all of our films are made with like such a specific combination of, of people that were the sums, uh, or the parts add up to some, whatever. That's, that's something mm-hmm. that you, you couldn't replicate. And that's yeah. the musicians that we use, the cinematographers, the, the directors are internal things. So I guess the short version to say is like, you just have to come up with your own North star and disregard yeah. everything that's out there, disregard other brands, disregard what you think is marketing and tell something that, um, makes you feel something. And, uh, that's kind of the only shot of, of making anything feel unique or resonate with someone outside is if it, you know, kind of resonates with you first. So I've always believed that's, you know, the more people that touch it, the less of a chance you have of accomplishing that. Um, And that's why commercials were always such a frustrating process is you would have, you know, a brand giving a brief to an ad agency and then 20 people at an ad agency fumbling around and mixing it up into a script that that's then giving to a production company where 75 person crew is, you know, has one day to get it all together. And there's a 25 person video village with, you know, people (laughs) arguing about what color shirt the talent. And by the end of it, you're like, what the, what the hell, where, where did this even start? Like, um, and who's making the calls? I feel like we've, the, the, the fun part of being so light and nimble at the beginning with just me and Taylor, and our kind of, you know, trusted partners were, we were our own gut checks and mm. Matt Reinches, our CEO and everyone from our, you know, Corey Maynard to Bill Neff to Polly Derry, our current head of marketing, uh, has been hands off in the process to the point where they're not giving any detailed notes about product. I think they, they do kind of one round of notes based on the story and what they think is right um for the brand if there's any call outs but in terms of just like the the instinctive heart and soul of the story it it, it it's boiled down to just a, a couple people and mm. you know whether you're making music or a painting or building a house i always feel like that's there there's got to be that that magic person uh calling the shots that has an instinct 
um, that's separate from all the other noise in order for yeah. it to go through. Because, and I'm not saying I'm not referring to that as my instinct. I'm just saying as a general advice yeah. to, is is don't go out trying to to copy someone else's stuff. Is you know find something that speaks to you and uh, make it in a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, it's the opposite of focus grouping something to death, right? Is like looking inward uh, and trusting that instinct and then making it. And it reminds me of a quote from Ira Glass, you know, and when he talks about storytelling, he says, amuse yourself first, right? Because if you're part of the audience and this is getting you excited, it's going to get other people excited too. Um, so yeah, I, that's so cool. And I've definitely seen both sides of the spectrum. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. And I think it's really valuable advice to, to wrap up on. So thank you. Thank you for being here today. And thanks for offering all the insight. For sure. Thanks, Jesse, for having me. To view the Yeti films, visit stories.yeti.com. Join us next time where the tables are turned and I'll be the one being interviewed by brand storytelling consultant Sarah Panis, formerly of Sleep Number. We'll dig into all things video storytelling and Credo Nonfiction's approach to creating content that moves.